to the Year Now podcast, the official podcast of the New Zealand Skeptics. My name is Craig Shearer. I'm your host. And this evening we have my co-collaborators, Mark. Hey. And Bronwyn. Hello there. How are you both doing? Pretty well. Staying away from the capital at the moment. I'd uh, I'd rather not get stuck in traffic. Hmm. Um. I, however, have been um, going into the cold face now and then to uh, do my job at the hospital. Um, happy to say that they have uh, now they are now distributing RAT tests. We get about a good pack of five for each healthcare professional for our personal use, so that's nice and reassuring. And as well, N95 masks are um, now available to us to use at least once per shift. So the RAT is the rapid antigen test. That's right. So it's a bit like a pregnancy test, but you don't pee on it, but it's the same kind of thing, a stick that shows you the result? Yes. <laughs> so the media have been calling them rats. Is that is that the preferred name or is it R-A-T? R-A-T would be the appropriate name, but rats is just easier to pronounce. <laughs> <laughs> or I should say easier okay. to say. Yes. Okay. So um, we should talk about the, uh, the, the freedom protest uh, for, for want of a better name in Wellington that's going on. Um, so probably most of our listeners will, will know about it. Um, it's happening at, the, at Parliament in Wellington. And as we're recording tonight, uh, it's been going on for uh, 15 days now. Um, so what, what is it all about? Well, officially, the, the protesters wanted end to vaccine mandates. They want the government to um, basically check out all the vaccine mandates but unofficially, there's there's all sorts of things that the, the protesters want. They want to get rid of vaccines. Uh, they're very, very much anti-vaccine. They're anti-government. There are some, some people in the protest who are actually calling for the, the government to be abolished. Um, so Yeah, that, that end like of a... things, it's pretty scary, isn't it, to see people standing on the steps of Parliament saying that their aim is to get rid of the government. Yeah, yeah, and and I've seen people on video saying, "Well, we're not leaving until the government is gone." <laughs> Just... well, good luck with that one. <laughs> um, so there's 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 tons of um, misinformation on display. So it's been quite amusing sometimes to be watching the the live streams of it, um, which they've had on on stuff and in the New Zealand Herald uh, sites. Although they seem to be not showing those as often now. And I think it's probably a good thing because it's kind of providing entertainment for people and I guess providing publicity for, for the protests, which is not necessarily a desirable thing, I wouldn't have thought. But looking on those live streams, there are some pretty uh, amusing signs, such as the uh, Make Influenza Great Again sign. Um, I'm not sure whether I understand the logic of that. Yeah, it's it's an interesting. Sometimes signs are so extreme that uh, you really can't tell the difference between somebody maybe taking the mick and somebody being serious. What's that pose law? Is it? <laughs> indeed, indeed, yes. Um, but there was there was certainly a guy there who was very persistent. He he had the sign up saying that uh, uh, COVID is a ninety nine point nine ninety nine point six percent. Um, Survivable, survivable, or something like that. Anyway, yes. Effective. I think um, it's um, you know, natural immunity is effect is like nine nine point. Oh, that's effective. right. Yes, natural immunity. But that's horrible, right? Just saying that. Hey, we should let this run rampant because only 04 percent of you are going to die. Still seems pretty mean spirited. 
Yes, exactly. So they have uh, they formed a camp there. They've um, they've even got a, a camp map, um, which as of today I think is a little bit moot because the the police turned up this morning and they've started actually putting concrete barriers in in order to start sort of making the 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 area that they occupy a bit smaller, which is obviously a good thing. Um, but they've even got street names, and one of the streets is called Malone Street. Now that's presumably oh, after Dr. the, the anti-vax. Yes, Dr. Robert Malone, who uh, was the supposed inventor of the mRNA vaccine. So I haven't seen any of their other street names, but but I did see that in a, in a video. Yeah, I saw them earlier today in a video, and I can't remember any of the names. They were about mandates and stuff, but they've escaped me already. So I was about to say, I was quite impressed with the amount of infrastructure that has um been put into place at the, uh, what you say, the camp or the um, parliamentary village, in a sense. Um, you know, we heard, um, I think it was um, at our last podcast, we were talking about how Trevor Mallard had turned on the water sprinklers and mm. the um, protesters were starting to drink ditches to drain the water. Well, I'm under the impression now that they have, um, they are getting water at least in some form tank brought in for people to drink. They also have several barbers, um, hairdressers around the place. They have um, a mother and babies group. Um, they have people offering uh, Reiki massage. They have a couple of former paramedics pro- offering um, or operating the medical center. Oh, um, that's good news because the um, the actual Wellington Free Ambulance have announced this afternoon that they are not going on site, that mm. due to uh, the danger to their staff, they've organized an area outside of the protest, that if people are injured, they're supposed to be taken there and the ambulance will pick them up from there. But yeah, they've decided it's too risky for their staff to go on site because of the violence and threats. Yeah, so nobody's nobody is wearing masks on site. Uh, that's that's very much a, a no no. That that marks you out as an outsider. <laughs> yeah, I I really want to visit because apparently there's a church there as well as all these other amenities, um, and I want to go. But when I went twice a couple of weeks ago and wore a mask, it wasn't so much of a problem. But having seen the live feeds recently, it looks like they've got their own security at all the gates and they're getting quite angry at anybody that isn't on board with their message. So I think if I turned up with a mask, it would be quite a risk. So I'm I'm starting to waver in my idea of turning up for a church service on the grounds of Parliament now. Yeah, they seem to have their, they've got their security guards in place you can't apparently just wander in there and particularly if you are um, part of the media you need to get permission to be on the grounds um so i watched a, a video of uh, henry cook who's the political editor at stuff walk onto the grounds yesterday and he was challenged by somebody who said oh no you have to go back to the admin tent and um and seek permission and he basically pushed back and said well no i don't I don't accept your authority that you the, the, these are public grounds and, yeah. and he's allowed to wander around on them. Given that they've had a mantra of freedom from day one, uh, they are being more restrictive than our society is on who's allowed in and under what conditions. It, obviously, they can't see the irony of this, but hopefully it's obvious to everybody else. Yes, indeed. Um, so today I, I watched some of uh, some Facebook lives which have been oh. recorded. Um, Who have you so, been watching? So, so the, I watched a couple from Chantelle Baker. Yeah, Chantelle she, Baker she's... Is, the, is the daughter of uh, ex-new conservative leader Leighton Baker, 
Yeah, and I, I'm, I think maybe a lot of people there don't realise where that family come from, that, you know, New Conservative had some pretty odious um, ideas at the last election. And um, the idea that, you know, all these peace-loving hippies are getting behind what was a very conservative right-wing political party. Maybe they're just mm. clueless. I hope they're just clueless and they're not willingly kind of getting behind these people. I think so too. Um, I mean, if you listen to Chantelle Baker, she seems to be sort of a fairly, at least in my reading, fairly naive and sort of wanting to to paint things as a as a nice peaceful protest and everybody's happy, happy clappy and and yeah, getting along. Yeah. So it's hard to paint a peaceful picture when somebody's trying to drive a car into the police. Um, but certainly Chantelle Baker did try that today. You know, her line straight away was maybe this is a false flag. And a lot of people have come out with this today. The idea that this protester yeah. that tried to drive the car through police um, was just a plant by the police in order to try and make the protesters look bad. I even have a friend on Facebook that's posted the same thing today. She's given her thoughts about what evidence there is that this was actually an undercover policeman in the car. And it's just silly. Sure. I was on. about to say, I think it goes back to the point that, um, you know, there actually isn't a unified voice at this protest. Um, Mark Dalder at um, Newsroom wrote a really great article on the 12th of February looking at how um, the convoy has kind of has so many different voices and how those voices are who's leading the protests has changed. Because really mm. in the beginning, it was about um, the Freedom and Rights Coalition and Voices for Freedom. But really now it's been more that counterspin and the conspiracy theories that have really sort of taken hold of um, what's being presented at that camp. So even then, um, you are seeing a lot more pushback now against the Chantal Baker and Leighton and um, Leighton's sort of point of view, particularly after today and the accusations that are going around the camp that um, Leighton's either a liability or a traitor to the cause. Yeah. Mm. Did anybody see the video of the naked protester arguing with Leighton Baker? You know, the one that was uh, pulled out of the crowd naked? And apparently I found out today she had oiled herself up. I joked about how she should have oiled herself oh, up. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Apparently yes, she, she used coconut oil to make herself more slippery. Slippery, <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, well, supposedly Leighton Baker actually knew that the police were turning up in the morning, but he he didn't pick up his messages or he didn't pass them on or something. So people yes. were very happy about that. Yeah, so yesterday morning when the police turned up at 4am with the blocks, supposedly he told some people, but the crowd were unhappy that he hadn't told enough people. And he then started apologising publicly inside the grounds of Parliament that he hadn't let everybody know that the police were coming with these concrete blocks. Um, mm. It seemed like a very political move. I mean, looking at Leighton Baker, obviously new Conservative, he didn't get many votes, but uh, he does seem like... A good politician he knows how to talk the talk yes it's interesting because so i went and visited their website and he's no longer listed as an, as a candidate no so, so he was like, i think ousted just after the last election so they split off from the conservatives didn't they is that right I'm not sure. So I went to see Leighton Baker before the last election speaking. And uh, I remember one of the questions he was asked was whether he thought the National Party were any good. And he said yes. 
the National Party were good when they formed. He said the founding documents of the National Party, I think it was back in the 1920s, was something that he aspired to. Um, and to me, that idea that, you know, a hundred year old document would be the place that we should all be living in society was like, no, this is this is not where we should be. Um, mm, but yeah, so I, I know there was that. I don't know about the original conservatives and whether they split from there or where they came from. But yeah, coming back to the live streams that I listened to today. Um, so one of them was run by um, a friend of Chantelle Baker. So her name is uh, Megan McNamara, and she is a mental health nurse who lost her job because of the mandate. So she refused to take the vaccine, and and so therefore she she lost her job. Um, which to me seems like a pretty uh, pretty good outcome because we don't want our health professionals to be uh, anti-vaxxers. So she was talking about how she was she'd been at the site for fifteen days and she was very stressed to the point that she actually had mouth ulcers. So she needed to take a whole bunch of vitamins and get some rest and and so on. Well, I googled mouth ulcers and they're actually a symptom potentially of COVID nineteen. Oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> so now I'm no doctor, I'm no medical professional, but hey, uh, put two and two together. Yeah, the media have been saying for a while that you know that there is a huge risk here of COVID just running right through the protesters' camp. Um, yeah, and nobody is wearing masks down there. Absolutely nobody is. No, and and so uh, there was that report out a couple of days ago that that five of the frontline police staff have come down with COVID. Well, I wonder where they got that from. Yeah, that <laughs> seems highly likely that it came from them being shouted at by maskless people where yeah. COVID is running rampant. Even but wearing I mean, not just masks, but they wear gloves as well, don't they? And yeah. also looking at the numbers, I mean, five policemen compared to, say, zero protesters. So... Um, Got to ask, um, you know, if you are a protester and you are having COVID symptoms, are you bar- bothering to get tested? Are you yeah, well, getting your car um, I, out of the uh, blockade to go down yeah. to uh, the testing center? Yeah, no, that obviously they won't be getting tested because they don't want to admit they don't want to admit that it's a dangerous uh, illness. Mm. Um, so the other thing I saw on that live stream today was a guy who was wandering around with an EMF meter, measuring the EMF levels, and. He was saying, well, okay, here in front of the beehive, they're they're making claims that they're obviously using some sort of EMF um, ray that they're beaming down at the protesters to to make them all sick. And there was some comment about a family living in a tent and the children in the tent had sore throats and, and headaches and a temperature. And he's saying that, well, this is what the EMF rays are doing. Okay, maybe, or maybe they've got COVID. Yeah, I've, I've seen those. There's two different guys running around site today with those meters, and it's obvious neither of them know how they work. Um, they're just giving, like, large numbers. Look, it says 9,000. This is dangerous. With no context about 9,000 what. And from some of the comments I saw on Facebook to one of these videos, somebody was like, no, 9,000 is actually quite a quite a good level. You know, that's that's a low background level, and that's pretty good. Um, so yeah, it's just scaremongering with, you know, devices that look cool. Right. And the final funny thing was that they talked about that there might be audio weapons that are being beamed at them. And so as an antidote to this, 
they played some music or some tones that they claimed were 432 hertz. Now, 432 hertz is supposedly some magical frequency which will um, cure, cure you of all sorts of things. Um, now, I've got a little tone generator on my phone here, which I'm going to play 432 hertz. Can you hear that? I can. So that's a, a 432 hertz tone, which is just um, is eight hertz below the, uh, the A above middle C on the piano. And that sounds very different from the music that they were playing. So I'm not sure where the 432 hertz thing comes in, but there are, there are YouTube channels that you can go and listen to which play the supposed 432 hertz frequency, which doesn't sound anything like the tone I just played, supposedly cure you of all these things that are wrong with you. Okay, and So they were a... playing this to the crowd. This is a new one to me. Like I've I've dabbled with frequencies before. There's the uh, the Schumann resonance that apparently the Earth vibrates at something like seven point eight hertz. And there's a bunch of solfeggio frequencies where every frequency yes. has a three, a six, and a nine in it. Right. Um, so so they were, yes, they talked about the solfeggio frequencies today. Okay. That was the first time I'd come across those. Ah, so yes, no, I've I've seen those a few times before, and I've been to an event where somebody was trying to sell a length of stormwater tubing um, that they'd painted black and put some LEDs on, and were telling us that it was emitting solfeggio frequencies of planar waves. I mean, it was total gobbledygook, but you know, he was asking for like a thousand dollars for this uh, this piece of piping that he'd painted, and. I'm not sure he would have got any customers, but yeah, that that's when I was introduced to them a few years ago and they've definitely cropped up occasionally. Well, yes, obviously it needs to be more professionally manufactured, just like your, your hi-fi cables. <laughs> oh, good call back to the last episode. Yes. I like it. Indeed. So one more point. Um, so uh, they have now come up with a system that they want to take back the traffic light system. So they're saying that they want to wear green for freedom. They want you to be wearing orange if you know somebody who's been vax injured. And they want you to wear red if you know somebody who's died from the vax. So it would be interesting to just take a look at the, uh, the composition of the people in the shirts they're wearing at the, at the protest and see whether uh, there's uh, red and green and, and orange there um, signifying that. But the thing is, if you have like, you know, the I guess we estimate there's 800 people at Parliament grounds at the moment. If you if they all know the same person who died from the vaccine, then they can all wear red. <laughs> yes, indeed. It's indeed. not going to be 800 individuals who died. It's going to be a complete mass um, misrepresentation of um, the actual vaccine statistics. Yes, this is true. So, um, Bronwyn, do you want to tell us about the, the nurse who spoke Um <laughs> well, well, I received this video courtesy of Mark, and um, the person was introduced as Kathy from King's Country, and she made some pretty astounding claims. Largely, it was a narrative of, you know, that if you're vaccinated, you are shedding these very dangerous spike proteins, which, you, you know, not only will affect you, but can actually be transmitted to unvaccinated people who can then transmit it to animals. <laughs> and the particular story she told was that... Um, so they had this young woman who was unvaccinated, but her partner was vaccinated. Such pain, real bad pain, and one has just got 
she's blood is coming out like you like urine, you know? And they're in such pain from the shedding. They've been around vexed people. I think if you're being vaccinated, you need to be aware that you have been injected with something, unless it was a placebo. Um, so the vaccinated partner shed some spike proteins to his to his unvaccinated partner. This unvaccinated partner had a cuddle with um, Kathy's pet lamb. We had a pet lamb and someone came to our house who had not been vaccinated, but her partner had been vaccinated and she was shedding. So her partner got her to be shedding these spike proteins. And then within the next 24 hours, the lamb became lethargic and basically um, developed a condition that was incompatible with life. So they had to put it down. Now this girl came to our house, picked up our pet lamb, gave it a cuddle, put it down. The next day it wouldn't drink its milk. And then when they did the, um, what would you say, the necropsy, um, an autopsy of sorts, they found that the dead lamb's blood was black and clotted. And then Kathy goes on to make further claims that, you know, and other another speaker also agreed um, that, you know, oh my God, after getting this vaccine, my blood's really dark and clotted. It's black and it's clotted. They can't even put it through their machines. Well, here's the thing. When you're getting your blood collected, it often comes, we often do superficial, superficial veins. That when blood that's in the vein is deoxygenated or actually has um, less oxygen. So it's going back to the heart to get oxygen from the lungs. So that blood that you get from your superficial veins is going to be darker. And if you, you know, if you're the sort of person who um, doesn't like looking at the um, phlebotomist or looking at um, the needle when you're getting your blood collected, you would know this. Um, whereas any blood that comes from the arteries, which is oxygenated and it's going from the heart to your organs, well, those, fa- those, those arteries are much deeper and we don't often um, collect from them because um, A, it can be a lot more painful. And also the blood pressure in your arteries is a little bit higher. So if you had an accident or a puncture mistake, um, it can be a lot more difficult to stem the flow of um, from the artery. And that's what you see in TV shows and movies. So that's, just the, an that's slice. the Quentin, Quentin Tarantino spurting of the blood. And it's bright yeah, exactly. Red. <laughs> exactly. But that blood also, because it's for TV, is very, very bright red. So yes. um, I think there's a lot of... Um, very, very poor, si- very, very poor science and um, medicine education going on. But at the same time, we uh, don't know what kind of nurse um, this particular speaker was. So um, could be any, could be anything. But um, most of the commenters did agree that she probably wasn't a veterinarian nurse. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's a, that's a good um, description of, uh, of the freedom protest. Anybody want to place bets on how long it's going to last? Yeah, the police today said days. I don't mm. trust them on this. I think we'll be looking at another two to three weeks. I think but it's I'll- going to be a long, drawn-out process, um, much like the um, Occupy Wall Street. You know, it's going to be a couple of long-term stragglers gradually being um, reduced to just a small patch on the corner of a uh, parliament. <laughs> I think if they. Um- if they can clear the streets of cars, which is what they seem to be actively doing, at least trying to contain the borders and not allow new people to bring vehicles in, then people could remain on the parliament grounds and it would be a quirky little protest and everybody else in Wellington could probably go about their business and just let them do their thing, I suppose. 
it, I mean, even just on the grounds of Parliament, there still seems to be a risk, right, that you've got a bunch of people who are talking about, some of them, the violent overthrow of government mm. on the lawn of Parliament. Um, at some point, somebody's got to decide that that is not tenable, that it's not a risk that is worth taking. So, Craig, so what's your bet for the time frame? I've gone for two to three weeks. Bronwyn says they're in it for the long haul. It might be months, I'm guessing. What yeah. do you reckon? Uh, are we playing prices right rules? Well, I'm putting $10 on this. Bronwyn, you willing to put $10 down on yours? I will buy you a beer if you win this, Mark. That's $10 or a bit more. All right, it's a, it's a beer then. A beer makes more sense. I like that. Well, h- how do you define being over? Is that when the last person is left? Or is that when it's dwindled to, say, 10% of its current size? Uh, I think, let's say, when, yeah, when, when there just aren't tents in on parliament grounds how does that sound all right i'm going to say six weeks all right two to three weeks six weeks and months awesome we'll we'll see who's right and we'll uh we'll have to meet up in a pub i think it's going to be two pints is it yeah, no it hang be. on hang on no because there'll be two losers we each i guess we each buy the winner a pint yeah mm. it would, would. <laughs> well well if it is months then um i might have to come down to wellington and um <laughs> have a pint <laughs> So and by well, then, well, by then the Omicron, Omicron will be over and um, well, we'll listeners, all back to normal. If we are in the green level, we could potentially have the uh, Skeptics Conference um, near the end of the year. So uh, that would be the opportunity to buy me a beer. Oh, gosh, I'm not sure I've got over the last conference yet. Now I have to start thinking about the next one. Okay, anyway, let's move on. So I think, Mark, you were going to talk about uh, the ratings on the NZDSOS site. Yeah, so this was one I was reminded of actually through the protesters at Parliament. So one of the groups that is embedded there at Parliament and has been giving speeches daily and people have been advertising are the NZDSOS, New Zealand Doctors Speaking Out with Science. Now, this is a group of what I would call anti-science doctors. They're certainly anti-vaccine. Um, it appears that they've been set up by the Voices for Freedom anti-vaccine group. They've given them a lot of help to get a website together and organize and send messages out to everyone. And it's a group of, I think now it's up to maybe 90 odd what they'd call doctors, although it's not all doctors. Some of them are dentists. um, Some of them are retired. A few have been suspended and actually just in the last month, because I, I crunched the numbers on this in January, I got a list of all the doctors who were members of this NZD SOS group um, in January. And I looked for their medical council registrations. And I went back the other day when a journalist contacted me and did the same. Just in the last month, 11 of them appear to have lost their medical licenses. So the I think the medical council is choosing the path of release resistance, where rather than bringing any kind of um, disciplinary action against these doctors, they've decided that they're just going to wait until registration is up for renewal and not bother renewing, which is interesting. So of this 90 odd doctors, it might be that only I think 30 or 40 or so are actually practicing doctors at the moment, but their website has a lot of information on it. And um, people that have been reading our newsletter might remember that I think it was late last year, 
I put together a parody website because their official website was nzdsos.com and I made a website called nzd-sos.com and on that I showed that there are more doctors, for example, called Sarah or John who have signed a letter in support of vaccination than all the doctors in NZDSOS who are anti-vaccination. Uh, and it's inspired by Project Steve. Craig, I'm guessing you will have known about Project Steve in the US? Oh, of course, yes. Bronwyn, were you, uh, were you aware of that project? Um, I wasn't until I actually, um, you, you brought up the NZDS, NZDSOS project. Ah, so for, for our listeners that aren't aware, Project Steve was an effort to combat um, creationism in the US. And something the Discovery Institute had done was put together a letter of um, academics who decided that creationism was the, the real history of our universe, um, that evolution was not true, that the earth is not billions of years old, that maybe it was 6,000, maybe it was a few hundred thousand, but the scientists were lying to us. And so the Discovery Institute put, a, put together a list of these academics and biologists, etc., who said that they believed in the creation story. And uh, Eugenie Scott, who headed up the NCSE, uh, National, National, National Centre for Science Education. Thank you. Um, so they um, put together a, a really nice list of names of academics who worked in biology or related subject called Steve, who believed in evolution, who believed that evolution was the, the answer to um, what we see today with human beings, and it wasn't God that put us together. And sure enough, there were many, many, many more people called Steve who um, put their name to evolution than all the academics that put their names to creationism. So jumping off of that, I'd made this parody site. And after hearing them talking at the protest about this group, NZDSOS, I thought, oh, I haven't updated my site in a while because my site looks just the same as the original site. It's a parody. So I just copied their look and feel. And I noticed that they're sure enough, I think the fifth or fourth time, maybe now they changed their website. So there was more work for me to do. I had to go back and change mine while I was there. I noticed that with the articles that they've got on there, they've now instituted a rating system. And at the bottom of every article on the nzdsos.com website, there's a star system where each article has between one and five stars. Now, this interests me because I'm in IT, and I'm sure, Craig, you probably would have done the same. What I did was just give an article one star, then refresh the page and try and give it one star again. Could I do it? No, I couldn't. So at least they had some kind of system in place so that people can't vote more than once. So I opened the page in an incognito window and I tried again and I could give it a second vote. So I thought, oh, that's interesting. I tried a third vote in incognito, didn't work. So I closed my incognito window and opened it again and tried a third time. And sure enough, I could give a third vote of one star. Now, I'm, I'm not a person that would, you know, do, do anything that would be... Uh, in any way less than upstanding. But the article that I wrote for our newsletter explained how a hypothetical skeptical activist might put together a piece of code um, that could get around the safeguards they had to stop multiple votes and vote down 
um, every single article on the website, starting with finding a list of articles and then randomly picking articles one after the other and then giving them votes. Um, and to make it realistic, you wouldn't just want to give them one star votes every time. You'd want to spread the votes out a little bit. So, you know, maybe some two stars, a couple of three stars, the odd four star vote. And you'd want to vary the time as well. You'd want to make sure that you're not hitting it once a second or as quickly as you can. So maybe you'd have a random integer generator that would generate a number of seconds between seven and let's say 21 uh, at random. Um, and then maybe you'd even want to go further and you want to look at something like um, what are the user agent strings? What browsers are there that people use and how do they report themselves? And you could have a list of those as well. And you could then change what your browser looks like every time you put in a new vote. And so, as I said, this is, you know, not the kind of level I'd stoop to. Um, but I would imagine that in about 150 lines of code, someone would be able to put together a piece of software that could do all of this. And that you would find if you visited the NZD SOS website that most of the articles would probably end up with a rating of about 1.2, 1.3. So yeah, Craig, have you uh, have you opened the website? I can see you looking at your screen there. Well, it's funny that you mentioned that because I've visited that site and a lot of the posts seem to have a very very low rating. Huh, weird. So, <laughs> I, I maybe maybe people are just reading them and thinking that they're really bad quality and rating them low. Maybe that's what's going on. Um, or maybe maybe one of our good skeptics actually implemented your suggestion and and there's a server running somewhere that's that's doing this rating that if know. somebody if somebody had done that and i wonder who that could be i think that's really good i mean given that we all know that you can't trust an internet poll obviously a rating system on a political website like this is not something to be trusted so yeah if anybody did do that congratulations to them very good job yeah uh, very no, good Mark, I have a mathematic question. Yes. Um, so when you did that first cup, that first experiment with your your vote in normal mode and your vote in incognito mode, how much did you drop the um, rating of that particular article? Uh, so at the time, I tried with an article that had um, I don't know a few ratings, and it was dropping by 0.1 each time. So you mm -hmm. can see when you hover over, there's a little graph there. Um, it'll give you the exact rating and it would drop from like 4.6 to 4.5 and then to 4.4 and so on and so forth. Well, on, on the website, it actually tells you how many people have voted because it actually says total 20 average 4.6 on one of the articles I'm looking at. Really? That seems yeah. 20 votes. That, that yes. seems quite low. Which well, this is, I think this is a relatively new article. Um, ah, Okay. This is uh, are New Zealand's top five health measures really keeping us safe? Have a look at an older article. Four days ago. Yes, I have looked at some older articles, and most of them are rated down around the, the 1.8 uh, stars. So they, yeah, from what I saw a few days ago, it was 1.8. Um, the script seemed to get a little bit more aggressive at one point. The weighting changed, and uh, the score started dropping a little bit more. So, so well, I'm looking at one that's got 1.3 and it's had 201 votes on it. 
So that's obviously a very popular article. So yes, yeah, so obviously the way the way I uh, describe this theoretical piece of code, um, the idea behind it was to try and make sure that it would be as hard as possible to differentiate between a genuine vote from an anti-vaxxer and a vote that came from a script. But for anybody that might be running this at home on their server, um, the one issue is that you'd always be voting from the same IP address. Same IP address, yes. And this, if, if they're paying attention and if they're collecting that kind of data, that might be a problem. I've looked into possibly using, I mean, whoever would write the script using Tor or a similar tool and then just reestablishing a connection and coming out through a different exit node with a different IP address every time they voted or maybe for every hundred votes. So that could be an option, um, but we'll have to see. I My money is on them not even noticing, to be quite honest. They probably in implemented this rating system and they've just fired and forgot and they won't even go back and have a look at it. And they won't realize that most of their articles have been downvoted into oblivion. Pa part of me wants to go and use their contact form and point this out to them. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I was going to mention uh, before, speaking of parody sites, um, so the Freedom Coalition people have created a website to um, let you go and donate money to them and, and find out all about their protest, and it's called profestnz.com. Now, I also noticed that somebody has done a parody site called profest.nz, which looks very, very similar to the, the profestnz.com site, but it's very much uh, a, a tongue-in-cheek thing. So you go and press um, donate, and it uh, tells you basically that stop being a, a freeloader and um, and and uh, pull your weight in society and, and get vaccinated or something. And then the, you click another button, and it plays a uh, it plays sort of a a dance music version of uh, Ashley Broomfield's um, announcements about COVID. So it's all, it's quite fun, really. To kind of wow. So the parody website got a better domain name than the, uh, the original website. That's good to <laughs> yes. see. And this one isn't even me. I mean, this, this parody is somebody no. else. I, I love this. And the, the, there are some fake voices for freedom groups out there that it's been really good to see. Um, I did see there was, because Voices for Freedom, I mean, they're a dangerous group. A lot of the information, the misinformation they spread is going to affect people's health negatively. And so it's not surprising that quite a while ago they got taken off of Facebook. Um, but that means that there's just an opening there for, um, for other people to open Voices for Freedom Facebook groups and be pro-vaccine. And so I think there's a couple of those on Facebook at the moment. And a few months ago, when I first made my NZD SOS parody site, I noticed that people had gone on to a fake Voices for Freedom Facebook group complaining about my site and how I'd hacked the original site, uh, not realizing that they were on another fake place on a fake Facebook group complaining about a fake website. And it was like, these guys just have no discernment. They have no idea how technology works, a lot of them. And yeah, they're just flailing around. And yeah, it was great to see. Yeah. And you know what? This brings up a sort of a topic that, Mark, you and I were briefly chatting about on Messenger, which is how this is all being funded. Because if you have these sort of um, spoof websites and people are just saying, oh, yeah, donate. I mean, there's a potential um, opportunity for people to be scammed. Mm. So yeah. most people who make parody websites aren't that unethical to go and no, um, that's true. money from people. 
But um, we were, but part of that conversation that Mark and I were having was um, how much, it, like, apparently the food is costing about $5,000 a day. Hmm. And um, they've claimed, and that was about maybe um, the 17th of February, I saw a picture about that. And Mark, you were saying um, they've been claiming they have maybe about three to four months worth of supplies. Yeah, so I read today one of the protesters saying that they they are prepared for four months, that they have enough money that they can afford four months of supplies. And if that's wow. just food at five grand a day, doing some very rough and ready maths, that's about half a million dollars. Um, wow. Let's say 100 days, um, which is a bit less than four months. So if that protester is not just posturing and is is actually telling the truth and they expect their numbers to keep up, um they've got some serious money behind them so i know mm. there's been a lot of speculation out there about where it's coming from i think it's very premature to be saying overseas interests and things like that but it certainly seems like at least for the time being they're not poor down there no and from some comments i've seen online there are there's people in the grassroots that are that are supporting them i saw a comment from some person saying that they were they were putting in a hundred dollars a week to support them Wow. Which is a um, substantial commitment, really, isn't it? Yeah, I guess some people that have dis been disaffected with the mandates maybe lost their jobs, etc. But yeah, they can cannot afford, afford to come down. Well, no, <laughs> they can maybe afford $100 a week, but maybe that makes them feel a lot better rather than, you know, traveling down here and taking further risks with their income. Maybe with their new job, they can they can afford this much in whatever kind of job they could find where they don't need a vaccine. Mm. Well, well, in a searing example of irony, um, again, through Twitter, I found a screenshot from the Convoy 2022 NZ website. And someone was saying, you know, great that this is all going on. I've been putting and donating a lot of money here. Um, however, really, this should all be going to the people who are doing the hard yakka on the front line. And if you're not mm. doing that, maybe you should, um, you know, bring your own food. And this person, without a bit of irony, said, just a suggestion. Maybe we need to issue some kind of voucher for those staying on site so they can access food. And then a, a couple of comments down. So I was like, yeah, I agree. Some kind of pass for those doing the hard yards. Oh, brilliant. Uh, they can't so, I mean, themselves. Yeah, but I think it's also hinting at, you know, with all these um, disparate groups that are involved in the protest, um, where, where the money's coming from, where it's going is um, not all that transparent. No, and I think Voices for Freedom have never been transparent with with their money. I'd love to see their books, but I don't think we're ever going to. But I, they've been a slick campaign for a couple of years now. I imagine they pull in good money. Um, and I'm not sure how much of it goes to the people at the top, but I I can't help but think that they're probably doing quite well out of it. Uh, yeah, I kind of feel that they're, they're skimming um, quite a lot of money off it. They're taking an executive salary, let's say. Hmm. All right, let's move on. Um, I think, Roman, you're going to tell us about the conversion therapy bill that has recently passed in Parliament. Yeah, so this is, um, you know, on one hand, Mark was talking about our quote-unquote theoretical activism, and I'm here to talk about the actual activism that we sometimes do. And um, one way that New Zealand skeptics is involved in terms of um, influencing policy change is through making submissions to parliamentary select committees. And recently, with the success of the conversion therapy bill, you know, New Zealand skeptics had a very small part as, with, as we were part of what one of the 106,000 submissions made. And um, we actually had the honor of being invited to do an oral submission as well. 
many of our listeners are likely to be familiar with the phrase, pray the gay away. And when such an action is under the direction of a religious leader or healthcare professional, then that professional is engaging in what's called conversion or or reparative practices. So that's just um, incorporating a wide range of activities that seek to change or suppress a person's sexual orientation, gender identity, or gender expression. And this can include such things as ice pick lobotomies, um, electroconvulsive therapies, or um, providing pharmaceutical regimes that induce vomiting. Um, For more church-based organizations, that could be just exorcisms or intensive praying sessions, either in groups or one-on-one care. Part of our submission was really talking about, you know, really there is no scientific evidence for this, either New Zealand or internationally. Um, We pointed out, you know, the various um, reputable organizations, again, internationally and within our country that have disavowed this practice, but also noting that, you know, in when that support from major regulatory or professional bodies has been removed, then a lot of that practice consequently consequently goes underground and the treatments and the providers are subsequently unregulated, meaning they don't undergo rigorous or ongoing continuing education programs or annual auditing. Yeah, it was a really interesting um, experience to do that, both the written, putting together the written submission and then doing the oral submission. And I think um, Mark did the oral submission with me. And I think you would agree that um, it was really quite something, particularly to see the national, the youth wing of the National Party present and uh, watch Simon Bridges' soul leave his body as uh, the young nationals uh, basically said, Surely, yeah, surely yeah. not literally. Oh, well, I mean, you know, it felt like that because he was really excited. And then once the youth members sort of said, you know, yeah, conversion therapy is wrong. Yeah, he seemed a little less. uh, The wind was definitely taken out of his sails, wouldn't you say, Mark? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Simon Bridges, I think, ended up being one of the very few MPs to vote against this bill. And right the way through the oral submissions, he always had pretty much the same one or two questions for everybody. And the part of the National Party was trying to talk about uh, parental rights and how uh, any kind of conversion practices bill would take away the rights of parents to be able to challenge their children about their sexuality, um, gender, et cetera, et cetera. And, And so he it was obvious from the few we listened to before us uh, who were giving submissions that that he was going going to be anti the bill and this was this was kind of a a place he'd stuck his flag and yeah when the young nationals came on it was it was a sight to behold definitely um, yeah they were really nice um, they were they were fairly progressive they talked about having gay friends and talked about how you know it was pretty much the the entire membership of the Young Nationals was in agreement that uh, this bill was a good thing and that if anything, it just didn't go far enough. So that was really nice to see. So we did that oral submission on the 15th of September on the on our webpage for the podcast. I'll include the links for both the written submission and the oral submission, that transcript, which um, are published on our New Zealand Skeptics website. And as well, I'll include the link to what our oral submission was. The Justice Committee has included that on their Facebook page. And you can watch actually all the other submissions and you can see um, what Mark and I um, experienced in real time. So despite the impromptu music festival that's currently happening on the front lawn of New Zealand Parliament, um, the Conversion Practices Prohibition Legislation Bill, or what we've been colloquially calling the Conversion Therapy Bill, 
passed its final reading on February 15th. There was this this occurred with about 112 um, MPs in favor across all parties. Um, the only holdouts were the eight national MPs, of course, at Simon Bridges, also Simeon Brown, who was um, also part of the select committee who was listening to the oral submissions, um, Melissa Lee, Tom Clay, Simon O'Connor, Chris Pank, um, Shane Retty, and Michael Woodhouse. So I think the royal, it was sent either sent for royal assent or royal assent had occurred on the 18th of February. And then it will come, the bill will come into effect in about six months. When the bill does come into effect, offenders could face up to three years of imprisonment for conversion therapy provided to anyone under the age of 18 years old, and up to five years if serious harm occurs from those therapies, regardless of the age of the client. Jokes aside, it's, you know, we really need to acknowledge that, you know, we were just a very small part. Um, Mm. You know, this was really due to the work of many New Zealanders, and most notably, Shania Lal and other young Kiwis, um, particularly from the young the youth wings of the Green and Labour Party, who really initiated and persevered with this really immense political undertaking to get these um, petitions into um, into the hands of people who could actually sort of push it in Parliament. But Lal, who was the founder of the Conversion Therapy Acting Action Group, again sort of pushes that argument that the bill there are some gaps in how this bill operates. Um, one of them being that. You know, the attorney general still needs to consent to the prosecution in the first place. And as well, that prosecution may actually um, disproportionately affect Maori and Pacifica communities in the event of um, the sort of long term effects of colonization and the effect of Christian missionary work, which really do push that more homophobic and transphobic um, perspectives. Yeah. So again, we may see we may still see um, more prosecutions in those communities rather than actually focusing on education, which would sort of bring a community perspective to banning or um, certainly making conversion therapy um, a lot less attractive. You wonder whether there are people currently engaged in the conversion therapy right now, or whether it's kind of a something that's been historic and they just want to legislate it to prevent no, it from it's... happening again. It, it's happening now. If, if you go out and look for articles um, over the last five years, there have been some great articles and one undercover story. Um, there's like a maybe a 20 minute video on one of the major news websites where they basically go out looking for people offering conversion therapy and it's not hard to find them they're still out there they're still offering it some of them have been some of them have been interviewed in the last few months and it's obvious they are they are still offering this therapy now obviously in their heads they think it's a good thing they think it's a positive thing that aligns with their religion and their god's desires and they don't like to think of it as conversion therapy and in their head it's something quite different to that but yeah mm. there are there are people out there that are doing it today unfortunately and quite possibly some of these people will continue to offer it after it becomes illegal but i guess um i think one thing that came out of that was um you know how mark you sort of gave me a lot of advice on this um when we're putting together this um submission what are things that you could suggest, Mark, our listeners out there, if they wanted to get involved in this process or be actually um, get involved with or, or being invited to do an oral submission? Yeah, so for submitting to select committees in general, I mean, the first thing is to keep an eye out for 
what's going on, what select committees are running, when are due dates for submissions. If you are interested in putting in a personal submission, the more submissions that have been written independently, the better. So don't just go and copy what someone else has written, even if they're saying, hey, here's a form letter you can just sign and put in. Those tend to get bundled together from what I've heard. Um, so write something unique, write something from your perspective. Uh, doesn't have to be long, but you know, just make sure you get your point across. And also if you're willing to help the skeptics or any other group, maybe a humanist group or something similar, getting their submission together, especially if you've got a good level of knowledge, and if you think that they haven't been uh, haven't been paying attention and haven't spotted a particular cause that they should be getting behind, contact them and just say, hey, I'd love to help you get a submission in on this. And then when it comes to the oral submission, uh, you don't have to do an oral submission. A written will be enough. But when you submit it, you are asked if you would like to give an oral submission as well. And if you do, um, the first trick is just to make it not the same as your written submission, that the MPs on a select committee that you'll be in front of for your oral commission will have, sorry, submission will have read your written submission. And, and so they'll be kind of familiar with what you've said. And so make it a little bit different, make it fresh, maybe get one or two new points in or just reiterate what you're trying to say in a different way. Um, I think you're normally given maybe 10 minutes all in, which includes time for questions. So you, you don't have to use the whole time. You can just give your oral presentation for a few minutes. And generally MPs when asking questions are really kind and friendly. They're a good bunch. They're sociable. I mean, you know, they're politicians, right? So they can talk the talk. They're friendly and kind and can make you feel welcome. Even the ones that disagree with you tend to be really kind about it while they're doing it. So yeah, just be relaxed, chat with them, be honest, admit if you don't know something. That's absolutely fine. And, and just answer them the best you can. And then once they're finished, it's all done. They'll move on to the next person. And interestingly with this, it used to be that a lot of these submissions were held in person in Parliament. Uh, of course, now with the pandemic, they're pretty much all online. And so I think the MPs have got a lot better at using um, the online software. They're all using Zoom these days. Yeah, I, I can imagine years ago an online submission would have been a little bit painful but uh, it's all pretty smooth these days they've they've got a hang of what they're doing and so you can do it from anywhere in the country basically with uh, with very little effort just install zoom and off you go very good we'll have to uh, see if uh, one of us put in a submission at some point then yeah well craig i mean if you... there's only one one of us that hasn't <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so we're going to get you to do an oral submission at some point, and then we'll put it on the front page of the website. How does that sound? Fantastic. <laughs> All right, let's talk about membership. Roman, do you want to tell us about uh, what's happening in the membership corner? Yes, um, well, Wellington's always a poppin'. Um, we have our bi-weekly um, Skeptics in the Pub at the in the lobby lounge inside the Intercontinental Hotel on 2 Gray Street. That'll be Friday, which set. Is that going to be February the 25th? And that'll start at 6 p.m. Please RSVP on our meetup page. Um, a vaccine passport is required to enter the venue under the red setting. And, you know, it's usually a good time. We talk about lots of stuff. We are always really appreciative if you come with, come with a... Um, different show or a movie that you've been watching or a good book that you've read. And when it comes down to when we leave, usually about 11 o'clock, 10, 30, 11 o'clock. 
And we also have the Skeptics Online meetup, which will be happening next Friday, which would be March the 4th. Um, again, that's an RSVP on meetup, and that'll also start at 6 p.m. However, the link, the Zoom link will not be available until the afternoon of the meetup. Um, and that's just for um, privacy and security purposes. As always, we are reminding our current members to check their inboxes and spam boxes for renewal notices and to get in touch with our treasurer, Daniel, at treasurer at skeptics.nz or to um, go onto our website and find the email there if you're unable to um, access your memberful profile or have any issues with paying your subscription. We have recorded for quite some time, probably longer than we intended. That's okay. I'm sure people love our voices. Oh, and not for our audience, because this will come out too late for them, but just for you two, did you realize that at 10.22 this evening, um, there's going to be lots of twos in the date and time? So it'll be the 22nd of the 2nd, 2022, at 22.22.22. Yes. Yes, I, I did. And I actually thought about that when I woke up at 4am this morning <laughs> and I uh, thought, ah, oh, I wish I'd been awake at 2.22am. And then, <laughs> Actually, no, I didn't really wish I'd been awake at 2.22am. <laughs> it's all right. You, you still have 22.22 uh, 22 in 24-hour clock. And a friend of mine came up with a great name for it. Apparently, uh, it's Tuesday because it is actually a Tuesday, mm. right? Uh-huh. <laughs> Not that we're encouraging numerology or anything of our uh, listeners. I think of all the non-skeptical pursuits, it's probably one of the uh, least harmful, maybe. I think so. Yes. Thank you for your contributions. Uh, you have been listening to the Yena podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. As always, we'd love to get some feedback from you on our uh, Twitter handle at Pod. Uh, so we will see you there and we will see you again in two weeks time enjoy have a great week bye